If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, y'all, it's Amber just popping on to remind you to join our Patreon. We just had a new patron come on down to the party. DeAndre, a.k.a. DJ, thank you so much for joining our Patreon. And also, DJ, I saw that you submitted a lot of questions gearing up for our 50-second episode, so we will be sure to answer some of those on the air for that episode. Everybody else, if you're looking to join our Patreon, you can look in the episode notes. You can find that on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast, Apple Music. You can scroll down and see that Patreon link there. And also, Ben, aren't you excited? Look at the show notes, Ben. Why would you be excited? We pick a winner announce. Yes, we picked our winner. Did we not? Yeah, we picked our winner. So, yes, at the end of each month, we will be giving away a book to one of our incredible patrons. So, drum roll, please. Morley is the winner. Morley is our winner. Thank you so much, Morley. We are going to be DMing you through the uh, Patreon inbox streets and then just send us a, you know, a P.O. box or an address that you would feel comfortable with us sending that book to. Remember, the book is The Conductors by Nicole Glover. I'm currently reading it right now and you are in for a treat. So, Morley, we will catch you out in these snail mail streets and let's get the party started. Started. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci under the Believe Podcast Network. It's a podcast about black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page of our marriage. Today is episode 50, and we will be reviewing Candyman. Candyman, 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 Candyman. I said it five times. Oh, fuck. The 2021 film, it just came out, directed by Nia DaCosta. Just so you know, we're saying it off the top. There will be spoilers before we get into this horror film. Ben, how you doing, baby? A little bit terrified because you said Candyman five times, but you do need to look into a mirror. Oh, I'm I'm doing great. I have some razor free candy if you want to eat any. You have some candy? Yeah. You brought some candy into this home? I mean, that's a metaphor for a body part. I've already had that candy. It's delicious. It's stale. It's I'm razor free, too. Why you always got to be a freak at the top of the show? Is that like going to be your new bit now? It's my bit. I'm a freak at the top and freak on the bottom and freak in the sheets. <laughs> okay. So someone's having a good day. I, I thought you were going to say how tired you were because you just started back to school. But I'm actually super excited that you've like got your freaky energy for the today's special episode. Okay. One way to support us (laughs) is to watch our TV show on YouTube, which makes it just a YouTube show on YouTube called Wild Wild Love. (laughs) Oh, my God. Let me stop. It's inspired by the documentary 
wild, wild country on Netflix. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> About a cult. Man, you got to learn. Who's so, gone too far. <laughs> so we try to have some sort of loose organization for this podcast, but Ben don't know how to, you know, bada bing, bada boom. He's not the showbiz person like I am. So you could say like, before we get into Candyman, oh, yeah. we would like to plug our YouTube channel, Wild Wild Love. It's on YouTube. Go check us out if you're enjoying the Amber Ben Show. Also, another way to join would be to do what? This is me kicking it to you. Right. You can write an Apple podcast rating. We're trying to get to 500 podcast ratings by the end of December. I just made that goal up. You did? I love yeah. that. It is August 30th as of the, the time of this recording which means that Amber's going to edit this tonight and put it out tomorrow. So yes. it's actually last week, August 25th, because we plan things really well. We don't. We really we don't. don't. Uh, good job, Ben. All right. Now let's actually talk about Candy Ben, since I've insulted you so many times. Um, so we did see the original Candy Man. I think... Ben and I always do this thing in October where we just like watch a bunch of horror films. I'm sure lots of people do that in their home. So I, I just vividly remember last year with you watching like Rosemary's Baby and Candyman. Um, so the original Candyman is from 1992. We got uh, Virginia Madsen. So sorry, Virginia. That one was directed by Bernard Rose and it was uh, Tony Todd was the Candyman there. And he also made a cameo um, in this new reboot as well. So that one was more about like, you know, if you didn't see that one, Helen Lyle, she was like this grad student from Chicago, and she was going into Cabrina Green. If you're not familiar with Chicago, could you say more about Cabrina Green? Yeah, Cabrina Green was a housing project that had a bunch of high rises, and the high rises were torn down. But as this movie shows, there are some uh, smaller like apartment buildings that are still there as of today. Like I've I've gone through them. There are some people who. I think as of when last time I went was in 2015 or 16, and there were folks still living there, but it was a massive um, housing project, public housing project. Mm -hmm. And like many of the public housing projects in Chicago, it was torn down. But the story of this one, it was like notoriously violent. And there was, uh, you know, a sniper one day who just randomly shot a child that, you know, apparently was the trigger point in which, the city said, "Okay, let's get rid of this, uh, this this project." So that's sort of where that comes from. And then a University Chicago student, U Chicago student, goes there to do research, which is so funny because U Chicago is known for like studying poor people and yeah. people writing their PhDs to get their their PhDs on the study of the poor. You I know? feel like every major university does something like that. Like I, I grew up in Athens, Georgia, where like the University of Georgia is. And I vividly remember like college students coming to our school and asking tons of questions about things. So, yeah, it, it's sort of frustrating because at the same point, point you need like studies and you need research to make change. Yeah. But a lot of these students they're just gathering research and not looking for long-term change because in academia, it, the, in academia, you're just looking about research. You're not a political actor or, or a politician to make that kind of change or the people who would make that kind of change. They need some sort of pipeline with uh, the academics, right? So like people who have the money to pay their taxes and, you know, 
in huge amounts or politicians. They need to be listening to the academics. But the academics also might need to be more involved in politics. Yeah. I well that sort of set the stage for the original Candyman and then this and then this new Candyman is now we didn't know this at the time, but is sort of a, a sequel or just like twenty years later. It's a direct sequel. A direct sequel yeah. of this. Um and so but this new Candyman is trying to do some new things that the old Candyman didn't. And so some things about the old Candyman was that the actual Candyman figure, he was uh he was a former slave that fell in love with this white woman. And obviously at that time, all hell broke loose. So all of the townspeople got him and like burned him alive and sawed off his hand and put uh, honey on him. So all these bees would attack him and this just like heinous act of killing him. And so that candy man sort of exacted his revenge years later. But in the 92 version, he exacted his revenge on other black people in the residence. So that was some of the criticisms that a lot of people had about the first candy man. It was really well done, but all of the violence and harm was done on the black community, which was kind of confusing. And so now in this candy man, um, it was a little bit different. So should we well, talk? Well, isn't that like the point of racism, though, is to create in fighting? So like black. I'm sorry, on, one more time. I'm like black on black crime, that whole idea is a construct. Yeah, Ben's using of, air quotes right now. Just yeah. So well, it's a concept, right? It's a construct, a concept that was invented by white patriarchal like society, right? Mm-hmm. So the white patriarchy, when I mean white patriarchy, I mean you have, you know, white politicians creating, you know, ghettos, creating high rises in which you had to create uh, a very, you limited resources so that it had a very social Darwinistic approach, which forced black folk to kill each other um, to maybe it would be, uh, holding on certain like drug uh, territory or um, alternative economy territory, whether it's like prostitution or gambling or anything like that, you have to create the closed system for that to happen. Right. So, so you're saying like all of that is uh, a direct result of white people and white supremacy. Right. But I think what people criticize is that, you know, why do we have to, if a ghost is coming back, the ghost is no longer part of this the system. system. So this ghost can now choose to exact their revenge and violence on uh, the white people, the white folks. Right. So or just like the the community that harmed him um, and and what the white people. And so I think this new sequel was sort of trying to like answer the call of that. So the new sequel, you want to talk a little bit about the summary? Yeah. So Basically, because Cabrini Green is torn down, that high rise is now like prime real estate and these beautiful high rises are going up and a lot of young professionals are moving into there and working in the loop and they're going out to eat in the West Loop or Fulton Market, which is, you know, you know, a place where a lot of celebrity chefs go and work, whether from Master Chef or Top Chef, they go in do their their restaurants there it's you know michelin star restaurants anything it's just a really fancy place to go to and so what this story does is a young artist is now looking for inspiration on the very land in which he's come back to he's living in one of these fancy high rises in cabrini green now and he starts to learn about the 
the legend of Candyman, and slowly he invokes Candyman to come back, and Candyman just wreaks havoc on uh, the new residents of Cabrini Green. Yes. So in this new one, you know, like we said, spoiler alert, all of the victims are white people in this new like gentrified space. And this there's this combination of like this art scene that is also very white getting mixed in with like these new gentrified buildings and like what I guess this like new Chicago is in this movie and how Candyman also in this story is not just one person, but he's and par- a part of a hive of five. We'll get into a minute, like how that was a little bit lost on us. But yes, this young artist, Anthony McCoy, he was like bitten by this bee when he goes back and is finding this inspiration. And then he slowly is transforming into this new, I don't know, artistic anti-hero candy man. One thing I liked about the Chicago setting is that there are two ways to sort of experience Chicago architecture. You could watch the beginning of this movie or you could go on the Chicago architectural tour. <laughs> like literally the beginning of this movie is uh, someone taking a taking the Chicago River, taking a boat on the Chicago River and filming all the high rises that are along the Chicago river. And there are some like really, really beautiful buildings. Mm-hmm. And they're like completely like upside down. Almost, yeah. Like this view that you have of them. It's super disorienting. And one of my favorite murder scenes, there's this almost like a hive building, the way it sort of rolls. Uh, it's very unique. It's made of like these circular rolls. And there's a, a scene which the candy man kills this woman, but it's sort of zooming out across the river as you see Candyman sort of slice her open with a a hook. And that was one of my favorite death scenes. But it wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't that scary. Like a lot of the violence is sort of, yeah, you give a, you give, you're given a lot of uh, prediction. You're given a lot of foreshadow. So when the violence happens, it tends to be off screen it tends yeah, to be through everything's a, a blocked. Or at one point I was like, oh, so I don't know if you remember this, Ben, but when the movie first started, even the like cr- the opening credits and things were like inverse and mm-hmm. mirrored. And I remember us thinking like, is something wrong with the the camera? Because we went to like a pretty run down movie theater. Movie theaters are low key dying. We could have a kind of a conversation about that later. But we went to this like little bootleg theater and the words were all backwards for the opening. If you've seen like, it, you'll be like, Oh, I know what they're talking about too. And so it's we like were the projectors at first, like, wrong, right? Oh, and I have definitely been in a movie theater where the projector was fucked up. Yeah, like, me I, too. Uh, so I remember thinking, like, damn, if this is getting really bad, I'm gonna say something. And so then I learned, like, oh, maybe that was some sort of visual visual effect they were trying to do. So they kind of set the stage for this to be some sort of like through the looking glass, you'll see the reflection type thing. They really tried to hype up that mirror effect. And I think as a result, like you can't like Candyman is almost this like phantom flying ghost that can only be seen in mirrors, which is the most effective sort of camera work that is done. Oh, it's creepy. It's effective, but it does make it not scary. And people like to be scared a little bit. Like we don't, we don't see one scene where Candyman actually guts somebody. We'll see them before we'll hear the scream and then we'll see them like bloodied on the floor. There is there is one throat slicing scene that happens and uh, this couple is making out and the throat slicing is sort of shown immediately and all the blood splurting and you yeah can, but you just you see the slicing see. of the throat you don't see like who did did it I mean we know who did it but 
You're just kind of like, no. It was Candyman. We want to. <laughs> you know, you know, Candyman was the murderer. FYI, it was man, comma candy. Uh, so I don't. I would love for you to. You know, you pitched this to me first, but I would love to just hear your general first impressions. Well, the again, I, I love when filmmakers do weird camera stuff like camera shots camera angles i love camera angles just give me a good camera angle you know and i just get all jittery inside uh there's a a great one of dolly's like first films it was like made in the 1920s i was watching it there's all this fun shadow play and weird cutting and weird scenes and there's a lot of that in here but sometimes it felt a little bit too pretentious like I sort of wanted a horror movie. I wanted some more mystery. There's not a lot of mystery. And then the mystery is sort of introduced. And then 10 minutes later, the movie is over. So there are like elements where I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good twist. And then they didn't really elaborate on the twist or go anywhere with the twist. So I ended up getting pretty bored. Yeah, I would have to agree. There were, I mean, I went in being like, oh my gosh, like I'm about to be scared. Like I, I went in actually pretty scared. And then halfway through the movie, I was like, oh, this isn't going to be that scary or kind of not even that suspenseful. It was like the movie was moving so slowly in some ways that it, you know, it, it's like being on a a roller coaster and somebody's like, okay, here comes the big dip. Here comes the big dip. Here comes the big dip. And so when it finally comes, you're like, well, I've done so much anticipating of the thing that I'm not even scared anymore. Like the scare is the anticipation. And, and there were also some things that were happening in the movie that they tried to make a thing that just didn't follow through. Like there was this subplot point that the, so, so the main artist, his name was Anthony McCoy. He's dating this woman, uh, Brianna is her name in the movie. She's like an art curator. And she's kind of like, you know, how when you're the very successful part of your relationship and you're just like slinging your boyfriend who can also maybe yep. work in that field along. Yep. I don't relate to that. Like, I'm, yep. I, I can't even bullshit you on that because uh, Ben does his own thing and he does his own thing very well. But like, that's sort of her whole <laughs> plight of the black woman. <laughs> like, And you kind of don't even really get much lovey-doveyness out of their relationship. But anyway, they tried to create a whole other slup, subplot where like, her father committed suicide because his art got so uh his art consumed his life or something but but that didn't follow through either i was yeah. like oh my god is her dad also candyman and now her boyfriend's candyman but that just ultimately went nowhere yeah, so they were trying the, to do some things but the they just fell flat the tortured artist trope Yes. Talk to me about that because you, you told me you're like, oh, this is so overdone. This Yeah, it's like you need to buy a, a bottle of like Jack Daniels and you need to really experience life crush you down and destroy you to make any sort of long lasting art. You know, you need to have like seven divorces like Hemingway or like Elizabeth Taylor and you need to be, you know, die of like, you know, liver cancer because you drank too much. That's that's a. But you trope. love like Van Gogh and shit. That's like his whole bit, right. right? That, yeah, that's the thing. But honestly, uh, that trope I think is harmful for creatives because a lot of novelists, a lot of artists, you you're not really productive when you drink. Um, Analo Hobsonson, who we recently interviewed, I was like talking to her once, and she was like, "Yeah, I I can drink like one or two beers, and then 
I'll probably wake up with a hangover. Like most artists are super disciplined. They're waking up early. They're writing throughout the day. Mm, so you're uh, saying like it's a negative stereotype. Yeah, I think it's a negative stereotype. And so I remember at one point I thought I needed to like smoke a cigar to be a writer or like get a pipe <laughs> to be a writer. Like, we need to get a cat around here. But yeah, I'm not well, that's, a writer. well, first of all, okay, you do need a cat to be a writer. That's a given. You know, it's, John it's Scalzi, N.K. Jemison, uh, you know, Nettie Okorafor. Um, they all have cats, like some of our favorite. This is too derivative for me. That's too, probably too, that's... too derivative. I think so. I do enjoy a movie about a black artist. Like, I, I feel like I can't remember the last time I watched a movie and it was just like literally a black man who is an artist looking for inspiration. I don't. Uh, I think maybe the chef movie. There's a movie, uh, the winery movie. Psalm? Yeah, Psalm. It's about, uh, I would call a sommelier an artist. Yeah, but like it wasn't about just his story. It was about like four guys and he wasn't even one of the ones that passed. No, sorry. The... It wasn't called Psalm. Oh, Uncorked or something. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And But, you know, even before that, like... I can't really think of a, well, I was literally thinking of like a painting, a black person in the, the literal arts. Um, so, and I, so I like that, like they were trying to do some different things. And like I said, all of the victims were white. So they were trying to do something there and say like, we're going to make a horror movie where we're not just like slashing black bodies brutally. Like we're going to handle that with care. But I think, Ultimately, what happened is like they the movie lacked substance in a lot of ways. So it's like loving these cool camera angles, loving the soundtrack to this. But some of these scenes are just long and I'm truly just not invested in these characters. I was invested in her brother. Um, I think his name was Troy in it. Like he gave me some good zingers, but like those zingers just didn't hit. And I'm sadly, I haven't seen um, Nia DeCosta's other film. I should, cause I, I think she had a debut film that struggled a little bit, but it was similar. It packed a funny black cultural punch in like kind of like get out, but just a little bit different. But like, I remember those moments in the theater and get out. Also, it was like a pre COVID world where all of the, theater would like erupt in laughter on certain lines like with Lil Rel and things like that and there were a couple things they did in this film that just didn't pack the same punch like you remember when she there's a one point where this the black lady Brianna she opened the door she looked down the stairs and she was like nope nope and it was funny but it doesn't pack the same funny as like T.S. motherfucking A I saved your ass like it it just didn't take it there um and again like I said it might be because motherfuckers weren't at the movies it's opening weekend it's we in in a Pandera bread so maybe that has something to do with it but didn't you feel like those funny bits did just didn't land as well yeah if if we're gonna you know, get on the subject of comedy. There wasn't a whole lot of comedy. Uh, there is one scene where we're introduced to some characters pretty quickly and they're killed fairly quickly in the movie because uh, you have this, you know, uh, Brianna is the art cur- curator. She's working with another curator who is sort of her boss. And that man is killed because, you know, freaking... Anthony has summoned Candyman. And so he's killed. And when the news reporter is mentioning his death, oh, that Anthony, was funny. Anthony, uh, first of all, the, the curator is found dead in front of Anthony's painting, which was sort of 
a terrible painting. Uh, this curator who was killed was making fun of the painting at this larger exhibit of lots of different artists. So he was like, Anthony was super depressed. But they mentioned his artwork, which was like, say, his name or something. And he he's like looking at the TV and he's watching it with his uh, girlfriend. And his girlfriend's shocked because she's discovered her boss's body like ripped and torn and her boss's um, uh, intern like destroyed and shredded, which that is so traumatizing. I don't know how she goes and does, she goes and does all these other meetings to find like another job, which was, I found really weird. Like I hate when people gloss over a trauma like that, unless they're in fight or flight mode. So in Halloween, like you can gloss over a murder or in scream because the murder is going to come to you in like 10 seconds. So you have to, you have to move quickly. You don't have time. Right. But here there was no urgency. There was no urgency to anything anyway, but he's watching this and the news reporter mentions his artwork and he turns off the TV and Anthony is just like, she said my name on TV when she's literally reporting the death of one of the people who bought his artwork, sort of a friend, not really. I, that was sort of funny. That I was, was like, the peak funny moment of the movie. Any yeah. any artist or actor, you know, you can probably relate if they're trying to break into the scene. I, I, I leaned over to Amber in the movie theater. I'm like, that's some shit you would do. It's oh, like, I, w- I would be like brutally m- murdered. And then if you got some sort of, you know, famous press, press on that, you'd be like, oh, yeah, they said my name. Like, you'd probably be a little happy. Not that I'm murdered. So would you too. You know how you love a I would little be, shine. Well, I would be, be dead. When we'd be out and about. I would be dead. But yeah, if you got a little bit extra bump to your <laughs> your your stardom. Yeah, it was just it was missing like a joy factor. I, I don't know. It 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 was the pacing was off and it I actually did have a lot more fun watching the 92 version of Candyman with you when we watched it in our house than this one because there were some like turn into your chest, this is really funny moments. And then this movie felt like, when am I going to like pee on myself? Like, when is that moment coming? And it, in some parts, it just was like, oh, in no, a scared this way, is- not a sexual way, you're saying. When am I going to pee on myself? Okay. <laughs> who, who says in the bedroom, when am I going to pee on myself? Hey, listen. <laughs> we can make I'm it listening. work. I, I've had sex with you, so I'm listening. What, what you it. got to say? I don't know. I just like this. The scariest parts of this movie were not the parts they meant to be funny. The The scariest parts were like, like bar none. The scariest part was he's get he's gotten bitten by this bee and slowly his hand just starts like rotting with the passing of each scene. So I, I just found myself like wanting lotion immediately during most of the scenes in the movie. And then what at what on one scene he like slides his hand is rotted off so much that he slides his dead fingernail from his hand. And I was like, wow, now that's scary and disgusting. But that beat all of the murder scenes for me as far as like gore and disgust. Yeah, the the real effects, the creature effects are so great. That's a great thing about a lot of this body horror stuff is that you get the creature effects, you get you sort of move away from the uh, you know, the special effects. Like don't get me wrong, I love special effects, but there wasn't a whole lot of special effects here, you know. It was a lot of it was very real. Um, so I, I did like that when he's like peeling away, like the creature feature type of uh, gutsy kind of thing. Oh man, that was so much, 
so much fun. Yeah, those are the best parts. But like, I don't know. I it just lacks substance. It's like when you, it's like my cooking, right? It's like if I don't season something, but I throw in some veggies and I try to top it off, and I and I serve it on a nice dish with a side of you know Cabernet Sauvignon. You're 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 tricked into thinking like, oh my god, this is about to be a good meal. But when you take that first bite, you're like, it's lacking, you know. That's sum- the summary of the film. Yes, because tonight I did that. I made a rotisserie. Ch- like, I bought a rotisserie chicken, but then I just made some vegetables on the side, and then I put it all in the same container to give the illusion that I had oven-roasted a chicken. You you got me for about a, a second. <laughs> a millisecond. I was like, oh, wow. she, And I was like, oh, no. We don't have a rotisserie kind of oven. That's in that chicken. I could have still like oven baked a chicken and it would have looked like that. All right. Maybe. Maybe if someone oven baked the chicken. I don't know if you oven baking. I'm just kidding. Uh, We have to talk about another character as well. William Burke, who is this dude from the laundromat. Uh, He's a dude from a laundromat and that's and he lived in Cabrini Green. He lived in Cabrini Green and he becomes sort of the person who sort of gives the lore of uh, the original lore of Candyman. So that's sort of the main players, Anthony, Brianna, and William Burke. Yeah, that, I mean, William, <laughs> I, we're going to talk about William. Can, uh, let's talk about William after the break. It's Amber popping on here to remind you to submit your questions. We're counting down to our 52nd episode, which represents our one year of producing and curating this podcast. And for that episode, we would just want to have fun. We want to talk book and movie recommendations and then answer questions from you. So be sure to use the link in the episode notes to fill out that form. Also, I put it in the Patreon patrons. You know, I'm going to prioritize your questions, but everybody else hop on board, submit those questions, and we are prepared to have some fun with y'all. So check that out in the episode notes and let's get back to the show one of the things they did really well is introduce this guy william burke as a child who runs into this man who was giving candy to children a razor blade shows up inside one of these candies and william burke as a child witnesses this this man murdered and killed and this man had like a hook on his wrist, but he wasn't the actual candy man. So the film sort of presents this lore of Candyman, which makes you think that it's not a direct sequel, but you're getting this information of Candyman through an unreliable narrator, which turns out to be William Burke. So he's sharing all this information because Anthony has decided to do a research on the Candyman lore, similar to what the you know the white lady did in the first Candyman, she was doing it for research purposes. Anthony's doing it for artistic purposes, and so sort of he presents this lore and says, you know, the Candyman was actually just this homeless guy who, uh, you know, was beaten up by cops, and he and William Burke, um, uh, William Burke witnessed it. At, witnessed it as a child and they show it you know it's not a told it's shown but then he gets a little bit didactic and he says something like you know he's a candy man but also this guy who was murdered by the police as a child you know is a candy man and you know that's candy man candy man is 
an idea, a concept. And they, they try to get all meta and preachy. And literally when he was doing that, I was laughing next door. I mean, they're, he's talking about the murder of uh, black folk because... Yeah, exclusively for like unarmed black men yeah. who were just you know minding their business. So they 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 were kind of just trying to make a big reach with that. But it's like it, if that was the case, there wouldn't just be five candy men. If every black person that was like beaten down by the police or angry white people became candy man, like there would be a, an army of candy men. So it, it it just that that just kind of fell flat because it it was also like a direct sequel. Um. And then also we have we do have some cameos of people like we did get to see Tony Todd, the original Candyman. Uh, oh, Lord, I think her name is Vanessa E. Williams. She was in the original Candyman as as the mom uh, with the baby. And now Anthony McCoy is her oh, baby all grown yeah. up. That which is like a huge twist like that. That sort of comes out. And that's the reason why this Candyman is now haunting Anthony mm-hmm. is that Anthony is the baby at the end of the film. And so we're first presented with this story that this white lady, this white researcher, Helen Lyle, Helen Lyle, I can tell you forgot her name. The white, yeah, I did. She goes to Cabrini Green, and she's actually the murderer, and she's been going around killing people, kidnapping this baby, and killing the baby. And we're sort of shown this through this like puppeteering, which is one of the best aspects of the film. Very effective. Yes, that turns out to be a lie. That whole story, that was like an official story. And the actual events from the first movie turned out to be the true events that are referenced and and directly sequeled to this Candyman film. And so we discover that, you know, Anthony's mother, who's been trying to reach him, but Anthony's on this like artist binge because he's so inspired by Candyman, blah, 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 whatever. He goes back to his mom's house and we're like, oh my gosh, this is the actress who was the mom in the original. And he discovers that he is actually from Cabrini Green, which is why, I guess, sort of why it's it's not very clear, which is why Candyman is haunting him. Uh, and that Candyman is looking for someone to take his place, sort of. You're mm-hmm. sort of... He's then, like, I thought I was born on the South Side. It's like... What's happening now? Yeah, <laughs> it starts to get very convoluted. Yeah, because it, you're like, so if you weren't bitten by the bee, would you still be Candyman? Or were you fated to be Candyman all along? Yeah. Oh, but now there are five Candymen. Were they all also bitten by bees? It's a hive of people, but it's only a five-man hive. It, it, it was hard to keep up with the well, names and the reasons why the others became Candyman because you didn't see that. Well, it also, I think, is a level of pretentiousness. Like, the bee is supposed to be the symbol, to rep- and his hand is supposed to be his art is slowly killing him and sort of ma- supposed to make him more like Candyman because he starts getting these, ho- like, sort of these almost, like, uh, acne of a sort that makes it yeah, look stars. like a honeycomb. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, whatever. And then it turns out that this, like, really, like, chill laundromat owner who... Um, you know, had this traumatic event as a child is actually a priest of some sort of the church of Candyman, and ends up kid <laughs> and ends up kidnapping Amen. and ends up kidnapping Candyman 
And uh, I, I actually should, love should that. We, should we get? <laughs> yeah, should we get? Should we end, get into the ending? So yeah, can, I love kids the that, Church of Candyman, and like instead of communion, it's just candy or something. Yeah, no, and that's what he says. So he and he turns out to be this incredibly like psychotic person. And at one point, he like he was transforming, you know, young Anthony into the new Candyman, and and for whatever reason, he pulls out two lollipops, and I just lost it. That I lost it as in laughed. I was like, now come on, how how min- how am I supposed to take this seriously? If you're like, and the final element, and it's like a, a red lollipop it's and a green communion. lollipop, yes, with a razor blade, with razor blades in them, and it was just, I don't know. Do you, can I ask you a question? That, that <laughs> you is, hate, you that is a question. Ask Just ask your question. Uh, so zooming out and talking, like as we examine what Candyman has sort of done for the culture, uh, and you're really well versed on like the Satanic Panic and all of the the uh, vilification of different alternative lifestyles that came out of that. And do you? I I vividly remember a time as a child where my mom was like. We shouldn't send our kids trick or treating because apparently they're putting razor blades in kids' candy and stuff now. And and now it didn't last long because my mom was like, "Get the fuck out of the house and go go be kids." And 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 we did do Halloween every year. But I remember that moment when it gave her pause. And I'm wondering if there's like sort of a direct connection between this movie and the whole candy with razor blades and oh it. for and sure, yeah. Because I remember hearing that as a kid. But did that ever actually really happen? Like people. People sort of took this movie and took that element of it and were like, we've got to do something and we got to protect our kids. Like, you remember when all of that stuff was happening. Right. I, I think if you're looking at the law of large numbers and, and and there was a time in which Jeffrey Dahmer was eating people and Ted Bundy was going around the country and escaping from prisons and murdering women I I have no doubt in my mind that some sicko put some razor blade in the candy like that I'm because sh- he saw the movie or uh, like- no 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 this this was you know prior to 1992 okay so this is just you know psychos doing psycho things for example we're you know we're in Chicago but right next to Second City is the location of like the first Walgreens. And that was sort of the location of the Walgreens scare where a guy was going around opening up uh, the uh, Advil bottles or Tylenol bottle. I think it was Tylenol and undoing the pills and putting cyanide inside the pills. And this was before uh, the, those little uh, wrappers they put on the top of um, yeah, Tylenol like, bottles. Before they were sealed. And- yeah. Yeah. These pre-sealed sort of packagings now and poisoned like five, six people. That person still has not been caught. Right. And so there are these examples that horror writers, they take these real world examples. But I think it's this idea of, I think candy is a really good metaphor, especially when it comes to policing, right? Policing is supposed to be helpful and kind and caring and sort of supposed to be uh, a salvation. They have salvific uh, properties. That's what police are supposed to do. And yet we know they do not do that. And so instead, they're sort of like razor blade inside candy. You know, I think for a lot of, you know, a society says, here's a police. It's here to protect you. But whom do you protect and serve? It's generally not young. You know, it's not young black folk. So I think they're they're sort of playing with 
you know, candy. Like yeah, the metaphor of candy and razor and blades. Attractive is actually really shitty for you. Or yeah, I want to. I want to get to our plot in case someone has decided not to watch Candy Ban and they're you know summarizing. So essentially, this laundromat person kidnaps Anthony, brutally cuts off his arm and sort of shoves a hook inside of it to create him as Candyman. And says, okay, now your goal is to sort of inflict violence on all the people who've come here and started you know destroying cabrini green but as he's doing that he needed a witness so he kidnaps anthony's girlfriend brianna who at this point has sort of distanced herself from the absurdity of anthony because anthony's like candy man is real he's real and uh brianna's like no, you're crazy. But people and, and are showing. And like my, f- and they're this subplot of like, well, my father was a tortured artist. I'm not going through this again. Is also happening. Yeah, yeah. And they flash back to her watching her father's suicide, which is you know I think pretty effective as well. And so she gets a, an appropriate backstory to an extent, right? Like she has her own story. She shows up. She starts seeing, you know. uh him being turned into Candyman and like brutally getting his arm sawed off. And then she ends up running away. And I don't know why I found this funny, but William Burke is like, oh, no, you're not. I need a witness for this, you know, special church of Candyman type of thing. So he goes after her and she ends up killing him pretty brutally with a pen and like stabbing him like 20, 30 times, just blood soaked. And. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, Brianna!" Like, it's sort of—it was sort of shocking because we're not really. I mean, Brianna was being strained by Anthony, you know, going through his tortured artist phase and you know seeing the death of her boss. But I, I didn't—I know—I didn't feel like we were given enough. Uh, yeah, we don't know strain. who Brianna is. Yeah, yeah, and for that her to do something really good. I mean, Division. She's in the MCU now. We don't really like. We see her like trying to climb the corporate ladder as an art curator, but we don't really have yeah. much from her. <laughs> it, it, it was almost comical because it went from that to her, like, she doesn't, like, try to get away from this guy. She, like, stabs him in the neck, and then, like, he falls on the ground, and then she's, like, stabbing him, and there's, like, blood splashing up. I was like, oh, shit. Like, wow, Brianna. I, I, didn't, had it in you, I didn't know. I did not know you. Like, I, I mean, maybe she'll be, like, Candyman- part three or whatever. So she does that. I don't know. Uh, and then, and then, <laughs> I don't know. But then, uh, you know, she goes back to Anthony who's like, you know, bloodied and tired and, you know, you know, infected with his arm. He's got his arm cut off and a tourniquet because, he now has a hook in his arm because it was like shoved in really brutally. The whole set was just messy. I wanted oh, to take a so, boom to that set. Oh, it was so messy. <laughs> yeah, it was very messy. It was like this old abandoned church. And then cops show up. They see him with a hook. They shoot him. They kill him. They kill Anthony. And then they take Brianna in and say, you know, okay, Brianna, like... There's two ways that you, this can go. You know, you could say that the cop was saving you, or we can say that you're an accomplice to all these killings that have been going going on. And she's sort of, you know, forced to lie and say, you know, Candyman or her her 
boyfriend was actually a psycho killer who killed the curator and killed all these other people killed a well she was like no i'll tell you what happened just turn the mirror oh, towards yeah. me so right I right can- yeah she agrees to it but then yeah you want to pick up from there yeah, she agrees to, you know, corroborate their story that the police were the heroes. So, but she was like, I'll tell you everything you want to know if, as long as you can turn the, the, the rear view mirror towards me so I can see myself. And so he does Obviously, that. Obviously, she says. She says Candyman five times, which is, you know, the key to get some shit started. And then Candyman comes and he kills and just like slaughters all these cops. Um, which I could have had more of that in the movie, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, which was like... It was nice, but it was not a big enough peace offering to make up for the things that were missed throughout the movie. It was like, where were these full court slaughterings before? Like, because the, the movie was only an hour and 30 minutes. So I felt like there could have been, I mean, and, and there were lots of people killed, but there were the, the motive. That was the only one that. I mean, there was the art curator, his girlfriend. There were those high school girls. There was the prissy art curator who, like, judged him at first and then, you know, wanted him because his art piece was mentioned on the news crime scene. You don't think that was a lot of bodies? Yeah, and, well, there's this. there was this idea that the bodies were going to be from Cabrini Green or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that artist, that, like, pretentious art critic or whatever, she's murdered not near Cabrini Green. Like, I think we are implied that, you know, here's a gentrifier, like so many, like that building, that area is like downtown Chicago. It's in the loop. It's not, I mean, it's, it's unseated land, right? It's stolen land, but it's not saying anything about gentrification, that murder. And the reason she dies is he like sort of, Sort of, you know, Anthony sort of tries to convince her to say Candyman in the mirror five times, and obviously she does, and she's killed. So it's it, it's a little strange. It's hard because we do want to root for Candyman in this new version, but when Anthony, who is who we've gotten to know for a running time of ninety minutes, becomes the new Candyman, he's sort of like a a silent Candyman killer and we, we feel disconnected from him because William Burke is the one doing all the talking and that one scene he's talking, talking, talking monologue after monologue. And so when Anthony finally becomes Candyman, we're thinking like, Oh, he's about to have his big moment, his big speech or whatever. But he sort of like silently slaughters these cops and then moves on. Um, and you, do, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to root for him, even though, all things white supremacy considering we should be rooting for him there there's something missing there yeah well Candyman, right like what is the lore of Candyman? does he kill indiscriminately like in the first film or does he kill specific victims and so the decision is made is that i'm coming for all of you who have decided to gentrify or to take over and sort of that's like the the final line of the movie which is I'm just like, <laughs> sure. It just yeah, it becomes just didactic into- and preachy and yeah. fun oh, and funny, like absurd. Like, make it subtle, y'all. <laughs> no, it just, I don't know. It, get out. You know, again, Jordan Peele didn't direct, but he had a big hand in the screenplay. Get Out felt so much different because we were sort of rooting for Chris the entire movie, and then it was like, yes, now we're about to see him like tear some shit up like he should have trusted his instinct all along we've seen him go through this journey whereas we've only seen anthony as Candyman for five minutes and so it was really hard for us to get bought in there and also 
in, in the vein of like doing things way too on the nose. So Candyman was actually supposed to come out last year, right? But you know, last year was the year when the, the sky fell. So I remember seeing the Candyman trailer maybe a year or two ago. And, you know, so how Jordan Peele would take these like very popular hip hop songs like I got five on it. That that was like the us soundtrack and it was a slowed down like boom, 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 boom. It was like scary. So what came out first for Candyman was a slowed down version of say my name, say my name with Destiny's Child. And that was when it hit me that I was like, oh my God, this is going to be some corny ass shit because that's just way too on the nose. You know what I'm saying? Like, Say my name for Candyman as sung as like a, a chopped and screwed Destiny's Child version. It just doesn't hit the same way that I Got Five on it did with us, you know? One of my favorite things, though, that I wish the film went into is that that one point the they art critic... Say my name out, though. I will say that. Yeah, they did. One thing that yeah. I did like, the art critic says, you know, all you artists are the same. Like you live in, you, the artists are actually the ones that gentrify the neighborhood, right? And she's referring to wealthy people moving into the neighborhood, even though Anthony is black and he's moved into, you know, a gentrified Cabrini Green. And I, I, I feel like Nia DaCosta could, could have gone that route, sort of this exploration exploration of like wealthy black folk right yeah who actually take part in gentrification you know there's been a lot of talk about that recently because um beyonce and jay-z posed so so there were a couple things one beyonce wore this like insane tiffany's uh diamond necklace that's like worth millions of dollars lady gaga's worn it and so i think beyonce was like the first african-american woman to be able to be allowed to wear this diamond it's only been worn by like you know four people in the world or whatever and they're standing in front of these like basquiat um artistic paintings and so there was this there was some backlash about one like wow like blood diamonds but make it beyonce sexy that's fun like there was some there was some conversation there and there was also some conversation about like Basquiat was like the most like anti-capitalistic artist like of the 80s or whatever and um not the 80s I think he was born in the 80s of the 80s and literally this is like nothing but capitalism like this is a Tiffany's commercial like this is everything he was up against and then there was some talk of like you know Jay-Z stands were like no like he has a long time Basquiat fan he's has several of his original pieces so there's just been some like discourse and black twitter this week about that and um i think it's sort of you know we love b I, I would never be coming for beyonce but like there are some valid points being made about how if this artist intent and you talked to me about that with van gogh you're like van gogh was poor his whole fucking life like yeah now we line up at the art institute to see like his original works and we have these huge immersive exhibits and experiences but at the end of the day like his art was a reflection of his social status in life at the time and sure, how we so is uh, Basquiat as well right right I'm just saying but how we sort of like handle that you know because yeah. these artists they're dead but they are famous and their art only does belong to the richest people in the world so that that they they could have spent more time with that social commentary than just like every unarmed black person becomes Candyman 
if they are then bitten by a bee. It, it, it just... It, it got off the rails. Yeah. So that's kind uh, of like our whole size. You're, you're, we don't have a size. You're also, I think you're giving the movie a lot more credit, like scientific credit. Like, I, I really think the bee singing was just, this would be cool and will work as a metaphor. Like, I don't think the bee really does anything. Or well, maybe the bee it made does. His arm fall off. But that, well, maybe I should take it for like the bee sting was only serving the purpose of making his arm fall off. So, Candyman. You got to get some Benadryl next time, fam. It's just very confusing how the whole... I I don't know how that... Yeah, well, I'm just... I don't understand. (laughs) I don't know. understand how Candyman works, right? right? Like, does he work through a mirror or does he need... Does he need, like, a physical body to then possess? You know what I mean? Because he at first he's killing people through mirrors and then... Right. And then he's flying in this Well, then, yeah, then he's flying... The other thing is that uh, Anthony doesn't become the new Candyman until he is first murdered by the police. And then he gets up and now he's invisible and now he's killing all the police. So there's like a logistical thing that. Yeah. Uh, oh, so maybe our listeners be... can sort of help us out here. Or so send was William us... Burke then killed first and became Candyman? Well, no, just... William Burke is murdered by Brianna, but. Anthony. I know, is but I'm shot. saying before that was William Burke killed. No, 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 no. I know William. William Burke, Burke is never Candyman. No, William Burke was never Candyman. Oh, William that, Burke. I just connected that now between you and I. Yeah, he's he was never Candyman. However, one thing we didn't but mention: he's Team Candyman. He is Team Candyman, which is strange because um, after he sees this old homeless guy who is living in the walls killed by the police. His sister is actually murdered by the actual Candyman. Right. So why is and he that has trauma? Man? I don't know because William Burke didn't really have a lot of screen time, and oh, all wait, his screen so time. So all Candyman's victims weren't white. No. You know what? Let's wrap it. Let's let's warp up the show. Right. I mean, you want to make again, one more it, point? It was very confusing. I feel like that visually it was cool. There were some cool lines. There were some some funny parts. Yeah, you get I, credit for that, but it's like at the end of the day. It's like yeah. cool font, bro, but your five paragraph essay didn't really amount to much. I really think the twist though that William Burke was bad, I also think uh was cool. I think there yeah. was something but his character leading up to that, we could have been given a little bit more foreshadow. You're given a little bit because we see him as a child and you're like, "Okay, this right. guy's going to ha- probably have a bigger role." And then you they flash back again to him as a child right before it's revealed that he's the one who's you know, kidnap Brianna. And so that was cool. But then also Anthony is actually the child from the original Candyman film who saved from the fire, I think was nice. But again, I wish they ref, I think they, it's confusing. they built, I wish they built that in a little bit better or, or foreshadowed it a little bit better. And it's confusing in the way in the, but not enough for me to go see it again. Whereas like, I felt like I was like, I got to go see us again. I got to go see get out again to catch up on those Easter eggs. And I know that this was not directed by Jordan Peele, but he had some heavy influence in it. Cause I'm just not as familiar with Nia Dacosta's work, but those movies gave us a reason, like just enough to be like, I'm so interested. I, I want to go see this again to see what I missed, to see what I didn't understand. Whereas this feels very much like, I feel like if I saw it again, I still wouldn't get some of those parts. Yeah. And with that being said, Ben, why don't we warp up the show? In conclusion, Nia DaCosta 
is a fabulous director. I can't wait to see her work in the Marvels and the MCU. Um, You know, it's going to be really exciting to see what she can do with that. Yeah. Yeah, she's doing... Yeah, she's uh, directing the Marvels. So I'm very excited to see future work of her. I think Candyman didn't really land for me. Elements of it did. But uh, yeah, check it out. Tell us what you think. Love (laughs) y'all. Look at you switching up. Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Side. Next week for episode 51, we have an interview. We will be interviewing Cadwell Turnbull, our, our one of our literal favorite authors. Um, he wrote The Lesson, and he just released his new book, No Gods, No Monsters, which Ben and I read. So we're going to be talking to him about that. It will be a spoiler-free episode, though. So be sure to check out episode 51, and we will see y'all next week for the show. Bye, y'all. Oh, and pre-order the book. And pre-order the book. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.